It was great. Anyway, this morning, uh, I want to share something that is really, really dear to my heart, something that, a topic that I, I think is the closest thing to my heart. And if you know me well and if you heard me speak, you'll, you would have heard me speak about this a lot. And I was, I was praying uh, towards especially, I just really felt the Lord wanted me to speak this for the church too. It's a, it's a message for me that I speak to myself constantly. But I really believe it's a message for everybody from the youngest kid. Who's the youngest here? Caitlin, Caitlin, all the way to whoever. It is for everybody because this is what we are all about. And I really feel, and I want to talk, I'm calling in this topic, and you'll probably hear me preach about it several times. Because this is a challenge for each one of us. And I'm call, the message is called The Call. The call, and like I said, it's a very dear topic, and the Lord challenges me with this, and I want to challenge, and the Lord really clearly wanted me to challenge you all with this too. And so, again, it's not a typical expository sermon, but I want to reflect on God's call to Abraham. Reflect on God's call to Abraham and how that relates to us, especially we are here right in the beginning of 2019. How does Abraham's call reflect in us or through us and affect us as such? And I have two main scripture portions that I want to read. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me first to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter chapter 12 and I want you to uh, put a piece of a marker there or something and we will read we will come back to that also but let's read Genesis chapter 12 first it's verse 1 the first few verses you're going to read actually let me read all the way to verse 5 it says the Lord said to Abraham go from your country your people and your father's household to the land I will show you a lot of us are familiar with this passage and I will make this is what I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot, we know that's his nephew, basically went with him. Abraham was what, 75 years old when he set out from Haran, he took his wife Sarai, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, stick a finger in there or something in there and turn with me to Acts chapter 7. Turn with me to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, and this is, again, a, a passage, a scripture, if you know the background. This is where Stephen, Stephen is being martyred, basically. And this is his story, the story of Stephen.
Acts chapter 7. Just verses 2 and 3. Again, this is Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin when they call Stephen forward. And this is what he says. And uh, then the high priest asks, are these charges true? And verse, verse 2, this is what I want you to focus on. To this he replied, this is Stephen, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. Another translation probably says Ur, you are, which is Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, so it says the Abraham, while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Verse 3, leave your people, leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. Go to the land I will show you. Now, again, flip back to uh, Genesis 12. See what God tells him though. The whole promise again. He says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. So it's the same thing. It's right off. You can see that this is talking about the same story in Genesis 12 is echoed by Stephen. Leave your country, leave your people, and go to the land that I will show you. And I think these two, uh, these two portions of scripture, and 7 Acts 7 verse 2 sets up the historical context a little better. And you really got to read these two portions together to get the big picture of what's happening there. Acts chapter 7, it says what? The God of glory appeared to Abraham. Where? While he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And it sets up the context as such. And as we read these two scriptures together, I pray that God will challenge our hearts like he challenged Abraham's back then. God will guide our hearts and quicken our hearts to know what Abraham's call really means for us today. I've got to start with a familiar illustration. I've used it several times when I preach, but, and you've probably heard me say this and used this illustration before about Aiden being around 11 years old and in my dream that I had Aiden's around 11 it's the summertime it's a great time of the year Heather and the girls are outside some doing whatever in Aiden's home and so I get up in the morning you know I've done got my coffee spent some time in the word and now I'm ready to make breakfast but before I make breakfast I knock on the door and I tell Aiden Aiden get up let's get ready let's go breakfast is ready and I can hear him immediately just jump up he jumps up and he goes, gets ready. I can hear him getting ready. So while I make breakfast and as I am laying the plates and getting food on the table, he comes and sits down. And I'm like, wow. And then as soon as he finishes breakfast, I said, hey, do you mind go clean your room up? And immediately he goes, cleans his room up. He just jumps up. He's got this joy on his face. And I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's keep it going. And then as soon as he's done with that, it's like, hey, do you mind doing a few things here and there? And he does everything I ask him to say. I mean, to do. Everything, no complaining, no whining, nothing. Just this excitement. Now, how many of you know that's a real dream, though? <laughs> Most parents will agree, right? Ask your kids to do something 20 times, and an hour later, you see they haven't even started, correct? That's a dream. Most of us parents hope that it'll come true one day, but I don't know, on this side of eternity. But... 
Whenever I think about this illustration, it brings something to my mind. But the God looks down on me the same way as a parent and says, I wish Sid would get it the first time. I wish he would just listen to me the first time. I wish that we would really obey the first time. And as simple as the story is, it brings down that truth. God knows what's best for us, right? But we, with our fallen natures as such, you know, we still have that with us. We, on this side of eternity, we're never going to get it perfect, right? Because when God tells us to do something somehow, and we know, we know that's the best thing to do, but how often do we drag our feet when God tells us to do something? How often do we easily get distracted when God tells us to do something? How often do we totally forget? Are we delayed long enough hoping God will forget? How many times do we make excuses for not doing something that God tells us to do? Not doing it because either we think we have a better idea than God. Are we just defiant and don't do it at all? God knows what's best for us. And as we get into this morning, I want us to, I want to challenge you with the question which is basically twofold. And I want us to view the sermon and uh, go through the sermon with these two questions at the back of our minds. And I'm going to repeat myself this question several times. This is my question for you this morning. What is God's call upon your life? Or what is God calling you to do? And along with that question, you have to ask, you can't avoid this. What is God's call upon your life? And secondly, are you walking in obedience to that call? Those two questions go together. You can't have one without the other. What is God's call upon your life? And are you walking in obedience to God's call? Is it just a great career? Is it have a great family? Is it to have a great house and a fancy car? Now those things are not bad things at all. And you've heard me say this. I don't, I don't say those are bad things at all. I believe wholeheartedly that God blesses his children. With stuff, material stuff. I believe in that wholeheartedly that God blesses us financially and materially with prosperity. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying having a great career and wanting financial success are bad things at all. Not at all. But this morning I want to challenge you to go and ask yourselves and reflect on God's call on your life. What is God's call on your life and when is the last time you really meditated on that? What is God's call in my life? When is the last time you've really meditated on that call? And this morning, I want to challenge you. What is God's call in your life? And the second part is, are you walking in obedience? These two questions are important because here's the truth. You will never be satisfied. You will never be satisfied until you live your life in obedience to God's call. You will never be satisfied until you live your life in obedience to that call. And you'll never have the sense of fulfillment until you live your life in obedience to God's call. And I choose my words very carefully here. I'm saying satisfied and fulfilled because I'm, I'm saying God doesn't promise us a smooth ride all the time. When we obey God's call, we know this. When we obey God's call, the devil's not going to keep quiet. 
people are going to oppose you. The devil himself is going to oppose you. You will have trials. But even through those situations, when you walk in obedience, you will still be satisfied and fulfilled. Because you are walking in obedience to God's call. You will never, let me say this and say it. You will never regret. You will never regret obeying God. You will never regret obeying God because of the joy it brings in your heart. On the other hand, the flip side of this. I've been a pastor and been in church long enough that disobedience to the call brings with it a curse. Now I know and I've met just recently, just talking to people and they're like, why should I follow God? I don't want the blessings that come with God. They say, oh, I can manage without the blessings. But this is what I told them. You may not want the blessings, but you cannot avoid the curse that comes with disobedience. Somehow we think, okay, if God doesn't bless me, it's okay and I can avoid the curse. No. You can't avoid there. I've seen people who walk in disobedience. And I'm not talking about bad people. But their life is a constant struggle. Frustration seems to set in. You see them running from one thing to the other thing to another thing. Because they just never settled as such. Because their hearts are longing for something more. Something that only God will satisfy. But they're looking for it somewhere else. And they live life at this frantic pace that they burn out pretty soon. They don't live life and enjoy it the way God intended for each one of us to live our lives. Because we've not understood God's call in our lives. There is no joy in living. I don't know about you, but that would scare me to death if I just get up and just do my own thing and go back to sleep and get up and do my own thing. It's going to get dull real soon because I lack purpose. You will never enjoy the fullness of life that God has promised until you walk in obedience. Again, I'm not talking about you getting it perfect. I'm talking about you walking in obedience to God's call. And I have this friend of mine who was in Bible college with me in India. And he came to Bible college much later. I mean, we were like all in our 20s and this guy was in his 40s already. And he was a very successful businessman. And he tells me, he said, man... I was running and running and running till I finally said yes to God. Till I finally said yes to God. And he gave up his successful business and he really felt God calling him to be a pastor. And being a pastor in India is not fun. I mean, it's not bad, but I'm saying it's not a well-paying job or anything of that sort. People look down on you sometimes. But he was willing to give it all up. Because he understood what God's call was. And I'm talking about God's call as a vocation. Yes, that's an example of vocation. God may be calling you to a particular vocation. A banker, a doctor, I don't know, stay-at-home mom, I don't know, a missionary to a remote village. Yes, all those things are good. But I'm talking about God's primary call on your life. Make the difference. Vocation is your job. That's different. God may be calling you to something else. But what is the call on our lives? The most important call on our lives is a relationship with him. That is God's call upon your life. You want to know God's will? I don't always, I can't always tell you God's will for what to do in terms of a job. But I can tell you what's God's will for your life is that you have a relationship with him. That is God's call on your life through his son Jesus Christ to have a real relationship with him. 
That is God's call on your life. And as I talk right in the beginning of this new year, 2019, I want to ask the question again. Are you staying faithful to that call? Are you staying faithful to that call of having a relationship with him? Because honestly, the most important thing in our Christian lives is our relationship with the Lord. And if you're honest, there have been a lot of church. I mean, church, I don't say it's our church, but the church in general has been, has been guilty of running away and not preaching that point. Because we want to preach and tell people how to live good lives, but we forget the most important thing is our relationship with Christ. Amen. Again, we don't teach them bad things. And again, I'm not saying all churches, but... We've been guilty, and I've shared this before too. We've been guilty of doing the same thing that the Old Testament people and the Pharisees did. Reducing Christianity to a set of rules. And if you follow these rules, you're good. That's what the Pharisees did. And we do the same thing as a church. We say, if we follow these rules, we are good. That's nothing to do about the rules. What God wants is your a relationship with you. Amen. That is the focus of our life. That is the focus of God's call. Please do not, do not uh, restrict Christianity to a set of rules. A set of rules that if we follow, somehow we follow these rules and we're good. That's not what it is about at all. What it is about is having a real, authentic relationship with Christ. That is His call upon your life. Now, what? Are you being faithful to that call? Are you being faithful to that call? And I want you to step back for a minute. Because what makes us different from the people outside and the people in the church? If you want to do this. What makes the people in the church different from the people outside the church? And this came to me and I've shared this person's testimony probably it came to me one time when this non-Christian friend of mine was talking to me. He's not Christian by any means. But we were good friends and we were talking over coffee. And he was saying, you know, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good son. I want to be a good man. And I was agreeing with him. But then it hit me all of a sudden because these are great goals. But my goal is not to be good. My goal is to be more like Christ. Amen. And there's a difference between the two. Don't get me wrong here. But my aim is not to be a good man. My aim is to be more like Christ. My aim is to be more like Christ. To be more like him every single day. For my life to be transformed more and more and more into his likeness. And that's only possible when I have a real relationship with him. That's only possible. You can read all the good books in the world. But if you do not know Christ in a personal relationship in that way, you will fall short every single time. Don't aim to be good. Aim to be like Christ. Aim to be like Christ. And somehow, somehow this understanding of wanting to be a good Christian has slipped into the church. Somehow it's just, you know, and we've set that as the standard for being a believer. I need to be a good man. 
And we've set that the standard. And I, I just say this all the time. Good Christianity has killed real Christianity. Because we aim to be good. But what is real Christianity? Someone who has a relationship with Christ. There's a difference, guys. It's one thing I reminded my church and John will testify. The church in Washington too, time and time again, that I say the real mark of a believer is not doing this, 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 this. It's having a real desire, a real passion for a relationship with Christ. A real desire, real, real passion, a longing, a longing for more of God. That's why you understand the psalmist where he says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. That is the mark of Christianity. That is the mark of a true believer, a true disciple is that hunger for God. That desire for God. That's why, why do you think David was called a man after God's own heart? It wasn't because he did good this whole time. I know we always think of one thing with Bathsheba as his big sin. He messed up time and time again. If you were here a couple of years ago when I did David, you'll see that. He had his ups and he had his bad downs too. But God called a man after his own heart. Not because of what he did. It's because his heart earnestly desired God. When David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. That's when he said, better is one day in your courts, God, than a thousand elsewhere. You understand this man's heart, his desire for God, even though he messed up so many times, his desire for God was there. And that's why God called him a man after his own heart. Now, you want to know what God's call in your life is? That's exactly what it is. A relationship, a real authentic relationship with him. That is God's call. You want to know 2019? Make it a real relationship with him. Make it a real relationship with him. Please understand. Because you may have said the sinner's prayer 10 years back. And you may be sincere about trying to live a good life. You don't do drugs. You don't steal. You don't go beat up on your wife or kids. You feed the hungry. You support missions. You go clothe the poor. And you go to church every single time. The door opens. You pay your tithes. You do good. You may be even a leader in the church. But let me be honest with you. All that really means nothing if you don't have a real active relationship with Christ. Hear me out there. Please listen to me. All that means nothing if you do not have a real active, active relationship with Christ. I was having a conversation with someone and he's been in church, not our church, but in India. Been in church over 20 years and, you know, he's just talking about how he's just done so much and everything else and the more I was listening to him, and we had coffee, and the more, two hours later, I realized he knows so much about Christianity, but does not know Christ. And I didn't say anything to him, but I was just thinking to myself, again, I'm not judging him or anything of that sort. But when you don't have a real, authentic, active relationship with Christ, I would say, you need to check your heart. Again, good, good Christianity will never replace real Christianity. 
good Christianity will never replace because the real Christian is one who earnestly desires and longs for a relationship with Christ. And you know this. It's not about we go chasing after so many other things. But we forget about just being in God's presence. Actively pursuing him like that deer that longs for water. Do you actively pursue God that way? Because it's not about, honestly, you can speak in tongues in 10 different languages, really. God's going to give you a gift. He's not going to take it away, really. So you can keep doing that and you can go to church like again and again and again and again. And you can do all that stuff. You can go preach. Even as a pastor, that's why I said the challenge is me. I can come and preach the word because I have a lot of knowledge, Hebrew, Greek, and everything else. But if I don't pursue an active relationship with God, I'm doing myself nothing, no favors. And that's the challenge for each one of us. Pursue. Pursue God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your spirit, with all your strength. Run after him. That's the measure of your spirituality. What I hungered and thirst before, now I can't do without. It's like I have withdrawals from God. If I don't have enough time with him. It's not about, oh, I met this person and he's telling me he read the Bible 30 times already. I don't think I've read it 30 times. But he's read it 30 times already. And that's a great. As long as it doesn't take you away from a real relationship with Christ. Because you can read the Bible all you want to. But if it doesn't change and make you desire God more, it means nothing. You're just reading a book. Desire God. Actively desire. Pursue God. That is God's call upon your life. Again, the question, are you staying faithful to that call? Are you staying faithful to that call? And now the second part. You have the primary call, and I have something that I call a secondary call. And really, they're really two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. You see that in Abraham's life. Abraham calls. God calls him into fellowship with him. But it also says what Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation. Through our relationship, we call others into a relationship with Christ too. God's call on your life is to have a relationship with him. But that call is not just for you. It's a call to use that relationship to call others into a relationship with him too. That's what God tells Abraham. All the people or all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. It wasn't just for himself. That's where the Israelites got it wrong. They thought that we were so exclusive. God has blessed us and that's about it. But it really took something. I say God's judgment because of their pride that they were dispersed all over the place. That's when the other nations knew about the love of God. Same thing happened to the church. And I, I always challenge, I mean, it, it scares me. Because think about it. Where was the church always meeting? In Jerusalem the whole time. And then finally persecution hit and people came. And what they were doing, they were forced to go all over the world. And as they went, they preached the gospel. Now, why do we need to wait for God to act in a way for us to take the word around? When we understand the call of God, we will understand that we are called into a fellowship with him. But to call others into fellowship with him too. That is part and parcel of God's call on our lives. Two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. And it really doesn't matter whether you travel the world. These guys who have their own private planes or whatever. Or we just stay at home with the kids. It does not matter. Are you staying faithful to the call to have a relationship with him? And then to call others into a relationship 
with him. God's call in our lives. Are we staying faithful? Are we staying obedient to both the primary call of having a relationship with him and then calling others into a relationship with him? And I want to share three points right from this story here in Abraham's life. Three points as I finish up God's call. Obedience to the call. Please understand, you may know God's call, but if you don't obey it, it doesn't matter. You may have the best car in the world, but if you don't drive it, it really lacks its purpose, right? It does no good sitting in a garage. Unless you know God's call and obey it. Obeying God's call, number one, obeying God's call requires a step of faith. Reflecting Abraham's life right now. You see Hebrews 11 verse 8, it says... By faith, Abraham obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Obedience to God's call takes a step of faith. Think about it. People outside think, what? You're talking about a relationship with God? How absurd is that? You can t- I can totally see people. I know people who said that to me already. You're talking, man, you just, you're smoking the wrong thing. I've had someone tell me that too. <laughs> it's true because for them it's like, oh, so fa- oh man, you're fairies and may as well have angels and God too, right? But it takes a step of faith when you choose to pursue someone you don't know, but someone who you know transforms your life. Obedience to the call takes a step of faith. And again, it's not blind faith. It's not blind faith. It's faith that comes from a relationship with God. When you get to know God, you know his heart. When you have an active relationship with him, when you communicate to him, you know where you should go because you can step out in faith because you know God has promised he will provide. God has promised he will be there. So I can take that step of faith. It's not blind faith because as we build a relationship with him, we build our trust in him. Our trust increases as we, our faith in him increases as we build our relationship with him. And again, John sitting here, he was among the first people we ever left uh, Alyssa with. I mean, here's a single guy. And we have a daughter who's like the most precious thing in our lives, just born. But if Heather and me wanted to go out, we were okay leaving her with him. Why? Because we had a relationship and I trusted him enough to take care of the most precious gift that God had given us and then go do our own thing. That's a step of faith, but that faith was built on my relationship and his relationship with me. It's the same thing with God. We will learn to step out in faith when we build our relationship with God. When we pursue that relationship with him, we will be able to pursue. We will be able to step out in faith. And listen to this. When you step out in faith, it builds your faith even more, but it also honors God. Because you're saying, God, I trust you and I'm stepping out in faith. You're honoring God when you step out in faith. And God honors faith too. We know that. The second thing, and this is something important. And what do you get? Obedience to the call. You need to watch for distractions. You need to watch for distraction. I don't think there's ever been a generation or a time, I should say time, where there have been so many distractions. So many distractions around from pursuing God. I mean, I said this on Wednesday too. How many times, you know, you're sitting and reading your Bible and the text message comes, poop, just on top. And invariably you point out, maybe there's something important you go point on it just when you're reading the Bible. I don't know. 
But be careful of the distractions. And I want you to look at this passage right now because this is significant when you go there. Go back to Genesis 12. Go back to Genesis 12 where Abraham, God calls Abraham. But I want you to backtrack a little. I want you to go to 11.31, okay? Understand, the chapter divisions were made later on. This is one book, one story. Verse 31. 11.31. Everybody there? Okay. Terror, terror, or whatever, took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together... They set out from Ur of the Chaldeans, the same thing as Mesopotamia. They set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. Where are they starting from? And I have a map up here to help us out a little. Nate, if you want to get that map up. Okay, right here on the bottom. I hope I don't get feedback here. Right at the bottom, right here. Right hand side bottom. That's Mesopotamia, Ur. Can you see that there? Now, no one went right across because of the desert. No one walked right across. Canaan is all the way on this side. They had to go around what we call the Fertile Crescent. Most people, if you've been in church long enough, you need to know that. So people followed. They followed the river all the way up to Haran. And then they came down to Canaan. And that's what Abraham is supposed to do. Look at that verse. It says, they set out from where? Ur of the Chaldeans. Where were they going? Come on, guys. They were going to Canaan, but read the next line. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Where did God tell him to go? Where? But when he came to Haran, he settled there. Where did God call him? God called him, told him, hey, you're here. I need you to go all the way down here. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Here's the thing. What was the problem with Haran? Why did they settle there when God told them to do something? What got them distracted? And historians will tell you this. Familiarity was one of the main reasons. You know, Abraham came from a very uh, idol-worshipping, polytheistic culture, right? Before God called him. Now, historians will tell you, the main God as such they worshipped in Haran was the moon God. The same God was worshipped in the Ur of the Chaldeans too. It's the same God. Different name, but the same God. One of the reasons they got stuck is because you have this familiarity with the religious practices. And that drew him to Haran. That, like I said, that relationship that God had told him, that obedience to that call that God had got. Go all the way to Canaan. But he came to something familiar and what happened? He stopped in the middle. He stopped in the middle because he got distracted by familiarity. What's the second one? The prosperity of Haran. Again, historians will tell you, Haran was right in the middle, right there. It's in the middle of all the trade routes from the north, from the bottom Egypt, and from the whole area down here. Haran is right in the middle. Cosmopolitan as I mean, like, that's right in the middle. Prosperity in the middle. And he settled there because what? And the Bible tells us, if you keep reading chapter 12... God had blessed him everything that he had accumulated, the possessions and the people. Prosperity kept him from totally obeying God's call. 
Haran was not the place he was supposed to be. But God in his grace and his mercy still blessed him in Haran. And I say this to people. Please do not judge or settle for prosperity as an indicator of God's favor. Because it's God's grace that blesses you. Please don't say I'm being blessed. That means I'm walking in the middle of God's will. Abraham's story is evidence. That you may be out of the will and the call of God, but you will still be blessed because of God's mercy. It's not because you're walking in obedience. Please listen to me. Do not use blessings and prosperity as an indicator to your obedience to God. The only indicator is your passion and your active relationship with God. Do you have that earnest desire for God burning like you did earlier? Do not allow the prosperity of Haran to stop you, distract you, to distract you from there. And of course, you have familiarity, you have success, and what happens after that? He just gets into that comfort zone. That's it. He gets comfortable, right? God is blessing me. Hey, the kids are doing good. The bills are being paid. I have a great job. This is where God wants me to be. It's so easy to get comfortable in that situation, but that's not what God's call is. God's call to Abraham was to go all the way down to Canaan. But when he came to Haran, he settled there. Here's my question. I just told you what God's call in your life is. To have actively pursue a relationship with God. Have you settled in Haran in your spiritual life? Have you settled in a place like Haran in your spiritual lives and not pursuing what God has called you to do, called you into a relationship with him and through you to bless the people around you and call others into relationship? Have you got so comfortable being where you are and forgotten what God's call in your life is? That's the challenge. That's the challenge. And the last thing I want to say Because honestly, hey, don't rock the boat, right? Everything's going good right now. I mean, what? what, I do read my Bible for five minutes every day. I mean, I pray. We do it. We do the right things. But again, I just said this earlier too, and you know this already. Doing the right things doesn't mean you're pursuing God. The relationship with him and earnestly seeking God. What is your will? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? That desire, earnest desire. Like again, that longing in your heart for more of God. That's how you measure your spirituality. And the last thing I want to say, obedience to the call requires a willing heart. God very rarely will drag you by the collar and take you to a place he wants you to go. That happened to He will not grab you and pull you and send you. Yeah, it happened to Jonah, but that was the only place I could really think about. He allows you because he is a good God and made us with a spirit of free will. He allows us to do what we want to do. He's always gracious. He's always merciful. Just because God is blessing you, again, church, just because God is blessing you does not mean you are walking in obedience to his call. What is God's call? In your life, obedience to that call requires a willing heart. I'm going to finish with this. You don't have to be the most talented singer, musician, or preacher, or teacher to obey God's call. You don't have to do that. All you need is a heart that is willing. God, I will do what you have called me to do. That's it. That's it. 
read the story of Thomas Edison. His teachers gave up on him. Thomas Edison probably discovered more things than, uh, invented more things than anyone else I know. His teachers gave up on him because they said he's too stupid to accomplish anything. Henry Ford failed, went broke five times before he invented the Model T. Beethoven's music teachers once said to him that he had no chance of ever playing music. Michael Jordan, of course, we know that the greatest basketball player probably of all time was cut from his high school basketball team. He didn't make it to his high school basketball team. Albert Einstein performed so poorly in his high school, his teachers actually encouraged his parents to pull him out and send him somewhere else. Honestly, you think about it, there's so many examples I have here, but sometimes the greatest success stories come from the people who just had a willing heart. They weren't the most talented, they weren't the most blessed with everything. All they were with was a willing heart to pursue their dreams. Now put that in a spiritual context. Are we willing to pursue God? Have that relationship with God. We know the saying, the cliche as such, but it's so true. God does not always call the qualified. He qualifies the called. That's amazing. God doesn't always call only qualified people. He qualifies, equips, empowers the people who respond to his call. One of the most amazing parts of God is that he uses imperfect people to do his perfect will. All they've got to do is say yes to his call. That blows my mind away. How God uses imperfect people to preach his perfect word. To share and draw people into a relationship with him. Honestly and like John and bring it back here. When you think you've got it all figured out, God can't work. When you come to him humbly and say, God, I don't know a single thing, that's when he works. Allow God to work in your life, church. Allow him to make you what he always wanted to make you. Allow him to take you to the places that he has destined for you. The calling he has placed on our hearts is to have a real relationship with him. Now, are we staying faithful to that call. Be careful of Haran. I think that's especially important to those of us who've been in church long enough. We can easily slip into that. But God has not called us to settle in Haran. He's called us to the promised land. The promised land was flowing with milk and honey. If we think we're in Haran and man, I'm enjoying life right now, you're missing out on the land flowing with milk and honey. Because you've settled for something else in your spiritual life. What is God's call in our lives? It's a relationship with him. And through that to call others into a relationship with him too. Are we staying faithful to that call? Bow your heads with me. and I want us to really. You'll hear me preach this sermon several times. Because this is the crux. This is it church. This is it. When it comes to God, when it comes to you being, you call yourself a Christian, this is it. It's not that you, you'll never get it all right. So don't go running after trying to do the right thing all times. That will happen when you pursue an active relationship with God. 
Please don't make that Christian checklist. You've probably heard me say that before. Don't make that Christian checklist. I don't do this. I don't do that. I pay my tithes. I come to church. I support missions. Tuck, tuck, tuck. You check everything off and you say, hey, this is it. That is not it. The measure is your relationship, that desire, that hunger, that drive, that passion for God and the things for God. And don't let the enemy say you've got to have it all together before you pursue him. That's a lie of the enemy. That you've got to get it all right. You know, I need to go get my life right and then come follow God. That's a lie. Run after him with everything within you. Run after him. And he will help you through those other situations. Have that heart like David had. I prayed that prayer so many times. God, give me a heart like David. I want to be a man after your own heart. And realize the key is pursuing, running after God, His presence in my life. Think about that for a minute. Chew on that for a minute. Do you really, do you really, and let's be honest, you don't have to say it to me, you don't have to say it to someone else, but it's between you and God. God, I know what you have called me to, God, that fire that burned in my heart. I want to earnestly desire for God and pursue and earnestly long for a relationship with you, God. To sit in your presence, to dwell in your presence, God, like David said, Lord, rather dwell in your house, God, than a thousand elsewhere, Lord. Do you really have that desire in your heart? Because that's what makes the difference. God, I want you more than anything else, Lord. Please challenge you in the beginning of this year to pursue God. Grow in your hunger for God. I'll be honest again, I'm not saying this to brag and I don't get it right all the time. But I have withdrawals when I don't spend time in God's presence. I'll be honest with you. As a sense of joy and fulfillment, even though we're going through the hardest times in my life, is because I know I have the time set aside to spend and pursue after God. I want you to think about that. I'm not going to say anything more, but reflect on God's call. What is God's call? It's a relationship with Him. And have you being obedient? Are you being obedient to that call? Let's take a couple of minutes and as we worship the Lord, I want you to just...